Welcome to the October 13th, 2022 meeting of the Science Fiction Club. I forgot to send out the reminder, but I'm glad that uh, everybody made it. A lot of people made it anyway, which does not mean that I will forget next month. I will remember. So, um, Roger, are you ready to hold the space bar down again? It's held down, and you're lucky that I didn't have it held down a few moments ago because I just had a real coughing fit. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, my. Are you ready well, for my contribution this time? All right. I, we are ready to hear it. If we are, well, I assume we're ready, all of us. Uh, Anybody Paul, not ready? Okay. I bring you Yesterday's Children by David Gerald. And David Gerald happens to be the guy who wrote one of my favorite time travel books, which was The Man Who Folded Himself, which, by the way, was better than the book I'm about to review. Um, he also, I just recently found this out, or, or else I was just recently reminded of it. He wrote the Star Trek episode, The Trouble with Tribbles. Oh. <clears throat> but in any case, <clears throat> excuse me, coughing fit is still just about there. Um, in any case, according to the introduction to this book, by the way, I got this from um, Bookshare. According to the introduction, this book, Yesterday's Children, was originally written to be a Star Trek episode. And somehow, David Gerald was dissatisfied with it and ended up holding off on submitting it to the Star Trek producers. And he held off long enough that um, he never did submit it. And <clears throat> he ended up doing quite a bit of rewriting of this too. But originally, it was supposed to be an episode where the Starship Enterprise encounters a generation ship. And Obviously, it was never submitted because I do not recall there ever being a Star Trek episode in which there was a generation ship. But in any case, in this one, there is a starship called the Burlingame. After finding out that it was originally supposed to be a Star Trek episode, I could not help think of this Burlingame as uh, uh, looking like it being the Enterprise. So that's how I thought of it all through the story. But um, in actuality, this does not even take place in the Star Trek universe. So there were quite a few changes made to it. It ended up being fleshed out and turned into a novel. Um, and it was rewritten later, too. Now, in this version, <clears throat> there is a junior officer by the name of John Corey who somehow rises in the ranks of the uh, yeah in the ranks of the military, space military, so to speak, until he becomes second in command of the starship Burlingame, and then somehow I wasn't quite clear about how this happened. But he end up, ends up as second in command. Something happens to the captain, and he becomes the captain. And he is totally unprepared to 
be captain. He feels very unconfident. He does not feel like he has enough experience to do this, but he also feels obligated to not let the crew know that he is unconfident. He has to show every bit of confidence in the world. He has to act like he knows exactly what he's doing, even if he doesn't really know what he's doing. And he has to be very decisive as the captain. Um, that Those are his intentions. The way he comes off, though, is kind of like a tin pot little dictator, another Captain Bly, and the crew are rather contemptuous of him because he really, not only does he feel like he doesn't know what he's doing, but he doesn't know what he's doing, and the crew recognize it. <clears throat> now, as I understand by reading all the material on Goodreads about this book, it was rewritten later, and it was renamed, um, let's see, what was it renamed? Star Hunt. And it was rewritten in a way to make um, John Corey out to be an entirely different character and the hero of the story rather than a complete fool that he is in this version. This version <clears throat> was published in 1972. And I think I got an edition that was published in about 1980 or 81 or so. And Star Hunt, basically the same story, but with a much more competent captain, was published, I think, in 1982 and became the first volume of a series called the Star Wolf series. But I haven't read any of those, so I'm back at the point where John Corey is not a hero. He is a buffoon. <laughs> when it so happens that he becomes captain right in the middle of an interstellar war. And <clears throat> he is determined to be the best battle commander in all of history. And he apparently spots an enemy ship throughout the story they call it a bogey and he orders an attack the crew are already kind of fed up with him and they really don't think they should be launching an attack because they're not really sure that the bogey is really there <clears throat> um but the ship moves in for an attack fires off its weapons, and then retreats very rapidly. Um, um, the crew, well, what can they do? They've got to follow his orders. The only other choice they have is to mutiny, and they're not quite ready to mutiny, but they think he is making some very unwise decisions. <clears throat> um, he is sure that the enemy ship has its uh, warp drive disabled, and he thinks that it is very important to destroy them before the enemy fixes their warp drive and gets out of there. So he keeps moving in on an attack, and then he keeps losing the enemy ship. And has, they have to 
do a search for it every time. And every time they find it or think they find it, he moves in for another attack and then rapidly retreats. Um, I will say that what's going on here, I didn't necessarily know it while reading this part, but according to the material on Goodreads again, <clears throat> um, David Gerald has the idea, well, traditionally, these um, space battles were written as if they were aerial dogfights, spaceships maneuvering around each other and shooting at each other as if they're airplanes in a dogfight. And um, David Gerald figured that in interstellar space, it seems that David Gerald figures that because of the vast distances, these um, dogfights, <clears throat> or at least, you know, interstellar spaceship fights aren't going to be like a dogfight. They're going to be more like a submarine battle because they won't see each other most of the time. They will have to hunt each other down and fire and then get out of there before they're fired back at. And so it's very much like submarines battling each other. And that is basically what he is describing in the story. Because of what I read in the introduction, the whole time, all the way through the story, I kept expecting that that bogey was going to turn out to be a generation ship that was launched from Earth before warp drive was invented. I kept expecting that, but it never happens. <clears throat> the story was drastically rewritten, and the only mention in the whole book of a generation ship is in the introduction. So there's no generation ship here. But um, basically what it comes down to is it's just a very, very long description, a novel-length description of a, a submarine battle in interstellar space. And, um, and the crew, of course, is really unsure that the bogey is even there that it might be the captain's imagination. So that's pretty much it. Just remember that the story was rewritten as Star Hunt and the captain was rewritten to become a hero. And he shows up in later um, installments in the series as more of a hero. And it's, well, the series is called the Star Wolf series. And I really don't know why they call it the Star Wolf series because I haven't read the series. And, but it's pretty much, it's very largely different from this first version of it published in 1972 that I read. So there you have it. Hmm. May I speak freely? It sounds really boring. Shared <laughs> But oh, it wasn't as boring as it sounds. I think maybe I just <laughs> describe it too well. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not a big war fan anyway. Yeah. Still, interstellar war fan anyway. Unless there's some really uh, interesting thing going on, like with the um, um, the Ian Douglas uh, Star Carrier series. Um, that uh, that one I did enjoy. The it was a military SF, but it wasn't all just military SF. There was a lot of other stuff in it. 
Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, but I know there are people, you know, it's very popular. Well, let me, let me tell you why I chose it. I was uh, <clears throat> browsing um, a Bookshare, looking for a book to bring to you this month. And uh, um, I'm in the habit of looking for books in good condition and then giving them a quality report. And by the way, I did make a quality report on this one. And usually they get back to me, no matter how minor the error I mentioned, they get that back to me and tell me that they're going to rescan the book. This time they got back to me and said that they confirmed what I said about it, but they can't do anything about it right now. So, mm. oh, well, in any case, I came across the name David Gerald, and I remember that I really did like his, the man who folded himself. And well, yeah, it was a lot better than this one. And um, he just, well, he was an old time science fiction writer. I seem to like the old time science fiction writers better than the new crop, even though I think generally the new crop tend to write better. But I just picked it out for that reason. And well, it turns out to be military science fiction where a space battle is going on. And no, it wasn't exactly the best book of that type that I've ever read. But I wouldn't say that it was really completely entirely boring, but you know, one person's okay. it's not another person's taste. Right. That's cool. Um, I um, got a book rescan not too long ago because uh, Lizzie and I put up a book by this guy, Raymond Z. Gallon, and it was called no. The Eden Cycle, and I talked about it at the meeting, but they had another book up there called The Best of Raymond Z. Gallon, and it was uh, practically unreadable. I mean, and I did a quality report about that, and in about I think it was about six weeks or two months later, they got back to me and said that it had been redone, and it was in the collection. So they they really do uh, they really do take these quality reports seriously. Uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that they they couldn't do anything about it. That's unusual. I'm curious to ask Roger why it seems like. <clears throat> You only choose from Bookshare and not from Bard. Is there any reason for that? Um, I've chosen a few from Bard. The, the, main the main reason I choose for Bookshare is that, like I said, I'd like to see some of these good and fair quality books turned into excellent <laughs> or, you know, better quality books. And so I pick one out and read it and make a quality report on it. Okay. Well, uh, does anybody want to go next uh, to tell us about a book? I guess I could. Okay, Martin. Okay, this book, uh, I don't remember even how I learn about these books, but anyway, this book is called Ghost Planet by Sharon Lynn Fisher. And mm. it's, it's apparently it's through the Marrakesh Treaty because it's from Canada. Uh, the reader's Canadian. She has a slight Canadian accent. And basically, um, it has to do with this planet that humans go to colonize. And a planet has a strange quality that it reproduces dead people from the, from the memory of these persons into live entities that were exactly as if they were alive. So it starts out with this, with this woman named Liz who goes to the planet 
she's going there to do some research and she doesn't know that she actually died and, and they have scanners and when you walk through the scanner they can detect the difference between a live human and alien and when the scanner beeps she she can't reconcile herself that she's really not the original Liz and then she's um taken over by you know this psychologist named uh, named Murphy uh, studying her and, and has her you know under basically restraints and they gradually fall in love and there's a tremendous amount of sex in it which I thought I think it was overdone but if you like a lot of description of sex there's plenty of that in the book and and basically there's a struggle between, there's a group of um I was the main, there's a psychi psychologist who wants to try to study what is the bond or the connection between the living person and their ghost and uh, be able to take advantage of it. And then there are a number of people who form a separate group that are trying to defend the, the actual um, the alien part and figure out a way of breaking away from the human part. And there's a, quite a bit of struggle and everything. At the very end, they end up getting along and they figure out how to do that. So um, that's a brief description of the, of the book. It's, it's rather interesting, if you don't mind all that sexual stuff. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, that was very brief. That's an interesting idea. Did you, did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was oh. good, except I said I didn't like, not that I'm against sexual description, but I thought it was overdone. Yeah, it's interesting that how she, how they grow together. She and this and the psychi and a psychologist named Murphy, an Irish man, and then the other group that want to break away and have a separate colony. And when they go there, it turns out that the, the leader of the colony doesn't want to allow them to have complete freedom. And yeah, there's quite a bit of um, of um, in, the, in the book. Hmm. So yeah, you know, interesting. Yep, that is unusual. <laughs> Well, that's what science fiction should, you know, has always been about. I mean, you got to try new stuff. And, right. You know. There's a new book out that someone recommended, which I, I have to get the title and mention. It's, it's written by a Japanese author, and it's, it has a strange title, like K, a number title. And it's 40 hours long, and it has to do with someone who, in Japan, and they suddenly realize that there's an alternate reality out there. You know, look at it, and the next time I'm not going to report on it next time, but hmm. I'll give you more information. I wouldn't be able to read it all in 40 hours. Didn't anyway. Michelle wait? Didn't Michelle talk about a book from? It was written by a Japanese author, and she did, but it wasn't 40 hours. It wasn't 40 hours. But wasn't that Clara in the Sun? Could be. No, it wasn't that one. Oh, it was the one that uh, before the coffee gets cold and the that was it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was it. And they went into alternate kind of. Well, they time traveled back in time, and oh, you had a right. limited amount of time to do what you yeah. wanted to do. That yeah. was those were good; they were very short. Mm -hmm. Well, Sherry, since you were talking, okay, since I opened my wanna, mouth, I can continue. Huh? You want to keep going? Yes, um, my book is called "Crime Travel" by Barb Goffman. Oh. And I must say, this is SF light. The only SF mm -hmm. element is time travel, which mm -hmm. I love. It's a series of short stories, and I'll just give you a brief uh, description of a few of them. One is about um, a woman who happens to see some time travelers. It turns out they're looking for a serial killer, and she's going to be the next victim. 
and how they work that out. One is about a girl who is in a wheelchair. She goes back to fix what happened to her. And it's a very poignant story. And she takes out a nice, a bad scumbag in the process. Uh, there's a couple of guys that go back to consult Agatha Christie. There's a kid who goes back to try to keep his parents alive. And there's a nice dog in that story, which is always oh, nice. That's cool. And there's one funny one where a woman, she ends up time traveling whenever she sneezes and she ends up in Shakespeare's time. I don't even remember the crime. Oh my God, I would be in so much trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was funny is she liked being back there. So when she'd be back in the present, she'd be doing everything to try to make herself sneeze. And then when she'd go back there, she couldn't help but sneeze because of all the smoke and everything else. So that was pretty funny. But my favorite one, you can't have a time travel book without people going back to try to prevent JFK from being killed. Mm -hmm. And there's a chapter on that. But the nice twist in that is there's a bunch of time travelers that hang out in 1963 to prevent other time travelers from coming back and preventing JFK from getting killed. Because if they were to succeed, he did fine, but his um, subsequent presidents screwed everything up. So mm -hmm. I thought that was a really nice twist on the old story. And that's about it. I, I really liked it. There weren't any stories that I skipped, which is hmm. unusual for a book of short stories. And uh, I would recommend it. I thought it was good. Next okay. month, I'll try to get a harder core SF book, though. That's all right. You had five weeks, though. <laughs> I know. I could have read several. <laughs> you could have read an epic. You could have read one of those huge fantasy. Well, it wouldn't have been science fiction, uh, though. Yeah. You could have read one of those uh, David Peter, Weber big. He yeah, writes long. He's one of the longest. He's right. He, he's up there with Peter Hamilton. Yeah. Only his aren't nearly as much. Hers are nearly as much interest, nearly as interesting as, as Hamilton's are. Yeah. Um, but he, he writes 30 hour books too. Mm -hmm. he, uh, what David Weber does. And he's written a lot of them. Anyway. Um, who's left? I am. I have. Liz, 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 okay. how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Um, well, I found a dystopian book for you. Oh, <laughs> uh, back to the... It was a bit of a, it, it was a, bit of a disappointment. It's, um, okay, the name of the book is um, um, Goliath by Tochi Amabuchi. Mm. Well, actually, he, it sounds like it, but he's actually Nigerian-American. Mm. Um, and he's a civil rights attorney, and he writes science fiction. Um, this is like his third or fourth novel, and he's actually won awards for um, Africa, you know, African American. He writes um, for you know about African American culture, and he mm -hmm. Afro Afrofuturism is one of the things. So I was kind of excited to read this book because it starts on the premise of all the rich white people have fled the planet to go live in the colonies elsewhere because the conditions on earth, they're not very pleasant anymore. And that really the only people that are left on the, the earth are, are the black and brown people. And one of the lines that frequently comes through the book is the meek shall inherit the earth. Okay. So I was, I was hoping that it was going to be a reimagining of you know, people doing things right now that all the rich white people are gone, you know, <laughs> and, and they're hogging up all the resources and that the best of the communities would shine. Um, that did not happen it, for the most part. It was, first of all, there was a ton of characters and it was, it was sort of hard to follow at times. Be, and, I, and I honestly couldn't remember any of the names of them. There was just, it was, and, it, and he told it through a back and forth kind of like each, each chapter had a different person's story 
going and it was read by a different reader, which at least helped you kept, keep that apart. You know, you, you knew you were reading about somebody else, but uh, it wasn't terribly interesting. And what I, what I really had a hard time with, okay, first of all, you have to understand, he's not writing to my demographic, okay? And so I'm not going to fault the author. He is not writing to old white ladies that think they're cool, you know, so they read these books. You know? <laughs> he's, it's, it's a young adult book. And he's writing uh, the most of those things are a lot about gang life that is going on. People are addicted to drugs. Um, you know, people are living in poverty. People are dealing with, um, you know, really adverse eco uh, ecological situations. Um, but a few people, you know, are trying to, to keep the, the land going. <clears throat> um, but, you know, it's, it's just a very dark, dark place. And, I don't see a whole lot of um, effort to, you know, say, "Hey, let's let's take it back and let's make it something, make something of it." The cities are all under domes now, and it's mainly okay. You think it's to protect the people living in the cities from all of the poison that's in the air. You kind of find out that essentially they've created prisons, states, you know, and if if the people living in the cities who are largely poor. Um, laborers that, you know, kind of keep the infrastructure going such that it is. Uh, but it's a prison. So if they try to get out of the dome, they are hunted down and, and either sent back to the dome or, or killed, you know. Um, it, it's just, and I don't know, it was so toward the end of the book, some of the white people decide that they don't want to stay in space anymore. So they want to come back to the earth and they find the areas that the, that the few who have uh, committed themselves to keeping the land, okay, they find those areas and they start taking them away and running the people who have been there all the time out. It was very depressing. <laughs> I, just, um, mm. I, I, I was, I don't know. Again, I, I, I really wanted to like this novel. I really wanted to like it. I like to support, you know, authors of, of diversity, um, but uh, this one was just so dark. I really don't know that I would recommend it. Um, and the only science fiction quality of it was, you know, a lot of the technology that they talked about, you know, people were able, able, able to uh, cybernize themselves, meaning, you know, they, they, some, you know, you, you could do different things to, you know, different parts of your body that, you know, they talked a little bit about the, this quote unquote cell phones that they have now. And they were laughing about the fact that in our time, you know, cell phones could only like hold pictures and music and stuff like that. But theirs can do, you know, theirs can take up your bio readings and, and, and just do all, all kinds of stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was the only thing that made it science fiction. I didn't see it really had much to do with the plot of the story. It just kind of provided that, like a setting backdrop sort of thing. So, eh, oh, I'm going to try harder next time. <laughs> for a book that I really like, but this one I was so committed to. I, 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 it was about a 12 and a half hour book and I read and I read and I read it. Oh, please. He's got to wrap this up on a, on a, you know, I was hoping for like some kind of a positive development or positive direction in it. And I just, I don't know if it was just beyond, beyond about my pay grade and understanding, but I, I just didn't see it. I, it just was. What was the name of it again? Huh? What was the name of it? Just for people. It was called might... Goliath. Goliath. Goliath okay, okay. by Tochi uh, Amabuchi. 
It's oh, okay. OM1. Just for people who might be listening later on. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't write him off as an author. I mean, I, I really would not. I think that I was just the wrong demographic for this book. And that, that doesn't always apply to me. I, I, I read a lot of um, urban African-American stuff, and I really enjoy it. Uh, but this one, it was just not my thing. Thanks. All right. <laughs> wow. Well. David, yep. David. David's something, you know, David reads a lot of stuff. Doesn't he, David? Are you out there? I'm here. I oh, there read, he is. I read recently a book. I suppose steampunk is considered science fiction, though it's a sort of strange outgrowth yeah, of science fiction. And I read one by a lady named Vashti Hardy. It's called, let me get that for you. It's called Brightstorm, a sky ship adventure, DB1. Zero zero five six three, and it sounds a lot like a sort of nineteenth-century adventure novel. It's not really—I mean, it's set in a place that's like our Earth, but none of the names or anything we have. So it's in a sort of mm -hmm. fictitious sort of mm -hmm. that reads like late nineteenth-century sort of Victorian culture. the The city is called Landtown. L-A-N-T-O-N, which is sort of like London, but it isn't. And what it is, is the main two characters are twins, Arthur and Maudie. They're 12. So this is for grades four to seven. So I was really going down here reading a middle grade fantasy, uh, well, cyberpunk, just to see what it was. It's the first book in a series. There are four out. Bard only has this one. Goodreads says there are four. And this is the world that is ruled by sky. They're called skyships, but what I think they are, you know, zeppelins fly sort of a modified version of a zeppelin. And the twins father has not returned from an expedition to the, they call it to the South pole, but they call it something like antipolaris or something, but it, you know, it is the South pole in, pole in their world. And one of the other crews that had also gone to discover it, they were in a race, came back and claimed the twins' father and his crew had stolen their fuel, which is called pitch. And in other words, it discredits the twins' father. So the twins managed to join up with a young lady who's going on her own adventure down there to because there's a prize. Whoever can get there first will win a million um, not dollars, but a million of whatever their currency was. And so they're doing that while the while this other group tries to sabotage them. And by the end of the book, you learn that the twins are related to this woman, Eudora Vale, who is heading the other group. She sabotaged their father, but come to find out their father had made it to the South Pole. They find evidence um, in caves that he had made his way there and made his was making his way back. It's they find his body. It's a little sad to me for a, a four to seven grades, four to seven book, mm -hmm. but it was interesting because of her world building. You know, that that I thought was interesting. It's not a very long book, just barely six hours. And it, you know, but it, it was different. It would, it would, I think a, a, somebody of that age group would enjoy the adventure of it. It's kind of like one of those books like Treasure Island, you know, one of these adventure things. I mean, and that's about oh. the only uh, you could call SF I've read because Fairy Tale by Stephen King is definitely fantasy. So. World building is a big, you know, counts for a lot in uh, 
science, science fiction, fiction and so, fantasy both yeah. yeah and so i like the yeah. world cyberpunk can be interesting it's that sort of it has that sort of late victorian feel of of like different sometimes they will go like in this when everything is airships they will go like down a path we didn't go down advent well, you know, technology wise victorian era um i mean that's how steampunk started if i'm not mistaken the, the difference engine was right. the first but, steampunk but, novel and that was set in victorian times right let me put gibson and bruce right. sterling sterling it ends that one ends weird i've been meaning to reread it but it ends weird it, it talks about this great ordinator which was the, a computer and they did things on cards made out of uh cellulose or something i like the way they they thought it you know and I'm assuming this book I just read is, you know, they don't say what era it's in, but like I said, it has that feel of some people have electricity, other people don't. They have flying, these flying ships, and they have kings and queens and, you know, the world. Right. You know, it has a Victorian feel. Mm-hmm. Well, let me point out something. Uh, some people don't know what steampunk is, and I, I have an example of steampunk that was around, I'm pretty sure, before the term steampunk was coined, but it is steampunk. Remember the television show, The Wild, Wild West? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was steampunk. Pure steampunk. It was always a science fiction story every time, but it took place in the 19th century. Wow. I would never have thought to call it that. Huh, okay, I've never heard that term before. I'm, I'm kind of a novice yeah, about all this, I guess. It's a cousin it's, of cyberpunk. You know, they, okay, yeah, and you're saying punk, P-U-N-K, correct? Right, and I don't know okay. where that came from, but it's steampunk. Hmm. I can get well, cyberpunk because the cyberpunk characters are often very anti-hero. They're they're all plugged in with jacks. They plug half of them are addicted to yeah, something. To something. You know. and, okay. And of course, William Gibson's uh, Neuromancer was probably yeah. the first book hmm. of that one. I wonder if there wasn't some elements of that in Goliath then, because some of the people were really plugged in and. Actually, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I okay. think it did. Cyberpunk did influence science fiction. Oh yes, you know the it's idea of jacking, jacking into the net. Yeah, representing yeah. the net as all these structures. You know these oh, buildings sure. and structures. I'm getting it. Okay. It's like I will feed, say though, I yeah. liked. I thought Neuromancer deserved every award it got, and it any award that it didn't get, that it should have gotten. It should have gotten any award that it didn't get. <laughs> it, it took I thought a while. It was one of the best books. I mean, I I wasn't so interested in the punk part, but the story, the cyber story part, I really, really enjoyed. And he put those together really well. He was so good at creating an atmosphere. He the was. writing style was very good, key to that. There, if you read it for just a page or two, you know the writing style. It creates an atmosphere that you've never, that I've never read before. And it was just, actually, I didn't read Neuromancer first because it wasn't recorded anywhere. No, it took Bard forever to get it. I know it took took Bard eight years or 10 years to get it. I know, it's like, wake Um, up. But I read Count Zero, which was the sequel in Asimov's 
See, I didn't like the sequel. Did you like this that one in yes, the sequel I did. After, was, and the Mona oh, Lisa was, Overdrive or whatever that was? Well, called. that was the weakest of the three, but Count oh. Zero was really, really he, good. He mixed was, voodoo, I, he mixed Haitian voodoo, I think, in with this. I, I don't know. It kind no, of the, oh, the AIs, once they broke out at the end of Neuromancer and oh. were they cooked, they created these personas so oh. that people could it was a way for people to understand them or to Oh, communicate okay. with them so you remember it better the than people I were haitians you know or they they were haitian americans or whatever oh, oh and that they makes sense. took okay. on that persona to oh. relate to them oh I that's guess why I didn't that's how it. It. maybe oh. they were jamaican i love yeah, jamaican that might have been yeah i forget I I loved um, Virtual Light. That was one of the. That was like a prequel. It was. It was in an. It was in mm -hmm. a world that was a little earlier than Neuromancer. Virtual Light. Yeah. It was called about some yeah. kind of glasses. Um, Would right. uh, a Clockwork Orange be considered steampunk? Ooh, now that's a good. It might. Because that's I pretty old. Awesome. I haven't seen it, but it might be. I saw the movie and I don't think I would call that steampunk. But it, but but he was, you know, I mean, the Alex guy, they were punky, you know, real anti-hero. Right. You know, they were definitely they had they had a punk feel. They weren't that jacking vibe. into they weren't jacking into the net. But I mean, <laughs> no, no I mean, but steampunk, steampunk <laughs> was. To tell you the truth, I don't think the word punk in these whatever punk genres really means much. It's just whoever coined the original word hmm. probably steampunk just kind of uh, up or something because I don't oh. think it refers to anything about there is a, also a genre called splatter punk. I've and, heard of that gross. Well I have heard I, of it. Yuck. It's very violent and I suppose the word splatter could tell you what kind of violence. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Say no more, huh? But that doesn't mean that the characters are a bunch of punks or anything. I just I don't think the word punk really has much meaning. It's just just something thrown in there you know? oh, okay we better let evan do his book yeah because yeah. Time, we're almost i enjoy the discussion though okay. but i read a trilogy Ooh. uh well there are none of them were there were only 10 each one each one was 10 hours long but i'm not sure if i want to tell you about the second and third books because you might want to read them but i did i finally decided to try the corporation wars trilogy by ken mcleod they are all on Bard, read by the same guy. Oh, good. Uh, uh, what's that? I said good. I hate it when they switch up readers in the series. Well, this this one, in in a way, this wasn't. This might have not been the best narrator. He oh. had an accent for everybody, and not all of them. And he was British, and not all of them were easy to understand. Oh. Um, Unfortunately, I had to keep going back sometimes to rehear things. Um, but anyway, it's about, well, it starts out with this guy who's wearing, speaking of jacking in, this guy has this thing in his head and he's interfacing with all these war machines. He's, and we gradually, he tells us, uh, we unfold, he unfolds the story. There are two factions fighting for dominance um, and they're and they're against the governments you know the, the states are you know kind of you know trying to hold things together there are the accelerationists and the reactionaries and the accelerationists want to push technology to the extreme and, and create 
the singularity stone. The reactionaries are kind of pro-technology, but they are less in, they, they want to set up old style civilizations with monarchies and stuff like that. This chapter is this guy controlling these machines and he's fighting for the accelerationists. And he's got a, what? Said my connection was unstable. Can people hear me? Yeah, you were breaking up a little at first, but you sound All fine right. now. Can anybody hear me? Yes. Yeah. No, we can hear you. Yes, we okay. can hear you. Um, hold on a second. I'll be back. I'll cut this out of the recording. <laughs> At the end. I'm sorry. It'll be just a few minutes. Please. I had to make a trip to the bathroom and I came back to find out something's been cut. All right. We have a problem. Well, it'll be remedied in a minute, but our microwave interferes with my Wi-Fi. Connection. Oh, wow. And I had that once. Yes. Yeah, once I got a new microwave, it stopped. <laughs> wow. Well, ours did for a while, but now it's getting worse again. Oh, I don't know if the shielding in those, you know, goes, you know, after How a weird. while. Or huh. if, yeah. my, if my modems just, our router's actually pretty old. I had um, to take off to the bathroom, and when I came back, Something was happening here. What happened? <laughs> my microwave was interfering with my. Our, Lissy was running the microwave. She forgot. Um, it was interfering with my Zoom connection. Oh. And since I'm the host, it might have been interfering with all you guys' connections too. <laughs> um, so anyway, this guy wakes up. Um, he gets killed in this battle, and he wakes up. And he finds out it's like a thousand years later. Enough of his brain was stored that they could recreate him and upload in him to what he finds out is a simulation on an, in another star system, in fact. So what they did was the, the um, human society, which is called the Direction here on Earth, which you know runs the whole solar system, and it sends out what they call a star wisp. It's nothing. There's no people. There's no, no real equipment. It's just information. And when it gets to, and, and when it gets to where it's going, it creates all the stuff it needs. They, you know, there's some software and computer and stuff and, you know, an artificial intelligence. And then it takes what it's there and builds what it needs to build, you know, equipment, whatever. Um, so it turns out that he's in a simulation. He's not really there. Well, he's there. He thinks he's there. And it looks real enough. Um, what they did was the direction sent out this um, star wish to colonize another star system. And there is a planet there um, and they're going to terraform it to uh, and then they're going to send actual people or grow them. Um, they may not actually send anybody. Um, this is really far, you know, advanced technology. There's no. You know, it's all nanotech and simulations and stuff. But the problem is, and there is a problem, of course, they have a lot of robots on these various planets and moons. There are a lot of planets and their moons. 
and some of them have become conscious. And you see things from various points of view. Um, there are different chapters and different sections of chapters where you see, you know, from the robot's points of view and from Carlos, he's, he's the guy that was fighting in the first chapter. He's on the accelerationist side. And he is, um, he's one of the points of view that wakes up in the simulation. He finds out there are other people who, that he's heard of, that he doesn't know any of them personally, but he knows of them. And they are also fighters. And he is told that he has been woken up because he was considered a terrorist and a criminal at the time. And he did something that was really bad, monstrous and and this is a discrepancy with the end of the first chapter, which he was ordered to do something really bad and he refused to do it. But in the second chapter, he was told that he actually did it. Um, and you'll see this is really important. The author does not slip here. He, this you'll find out later on. Um, but um, and there are some other people that he knows of that, you know, are woken up. And the reason they're woken up is because. The direction wants them to fight to either put, re, destroy these conscious robots because the AIs are not permitted to fight, but they can recruit or wake up, revivify or whatever you want to call it, people from the 21st century who are fighters. And what they do is, you know, they wake them up in the simulation and then when they are ready, they train them, you know, to fight. And then they put them in these giant robots or frames, as they call them, and they have weapons and, you know, it's like they're downloaded into these frames and they and they talk about what it's like. You know, he doesn't just you know, it's not an action novel. There is action in it, but there's a lot more to it than that. He actually talks about, you know, they actually think faster. Their minds are clear. You know, they got more sensors and, you know, so, I mean, it's like being a smarter than a person. And he really. You know, he really, um, and especially later in the books, you see more of that. Um, so I really enjoyed them. I would say they're good, not great, but I enjoyed them pretty well. So uh, there's wheels within wheels here because, you know, there are secret agents. You know, they, they actually supposedly only woke up accelerationists, but they find out later that some of these were agents who were from the reactionary and they want to set up their own. You know, they've got all this real estate in this new star system and they start covertly planning to try to set up some of their own, you know, empire, you know, their own states, you know, their own, you know, where they run things and they've got their monarchy and some of them have, you know, Nazi sympathies and they, you know, white supremacy sympathies and stuff like that. And one of the characters is actually a black guy who was on, you know, who actually was on the reaction side to a large extent. And he had to face, but a lot of people didn't know it at the time. And so, but there they, you know, but he has, there's prejudice against him, even though he shares a lot of their ideas about, you know, older societies being better and newer societies being too chaotic. And, you know, and they talk about, you know, people like uh, John Locke and, you know, the philosophy and what's wrong with, you know, what's wrong with democratic societies and so on and necessarily not necessarily, you know, agree with it. But I mean, the author really, you know, is, you know, writes very intelligently, you know, about this stuff. 
and he talks about how Carlos was recruited into the accelerationists and some of the, you know, stuff that he read. And um, so it, it's just really interesting, but you got, I mean, it's, it's really, uh, as I said, there's a lot of wheels within wheels and, and there's a lot of simulated environments and, um, you know, the, the, the simulation he wakes up in looks like the planet that's going to be terrified, terraformed after it's been terraformed. They have a, like an idea as to what it's going to look like, but, um, but it gets really more complicated than that. You start seeing people changing their loyalties and some of them decide to side with the free robots who are conscious, you know, they call themselves the free bots. You know, they don't want to take orders and be slaves anymore. And they are fighting the direction. And so it's, but, the, but most of it is not combat. There's a good, you know, there's a fair amount, but it's not military SF as such, but there's definitely a military component to it. But overall, I thought they were pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of thought in it. There's, you know, there's some philosophy and there's, you know, it, it's, it, they were pretty good. It, um, there are three of them. Um, Corporation Wars um, Insurgents is the first one, and then Dissidents is the second one, and Emergence is the third one. And they're almost all exactly 10 hours long. And they're all read by this guy, Kenny, which is John Kenny, something like that. And he has an accent for everybody. And it's even the robots have odd accents sometimes. And I just thought it was overdone a little bit, a little too much accent. And it's hard to understand every, every little thing. And I'm one of these people and Lissy will tell you, I can't, I do not want to miss a word of, you know, when I read a book, I can't skip, you know, anything. Um, if I really want to read something, if I miss a word or two, I have to go back and get it, you know? Um, so Anyway, that's what I was reading. That's what I read this month. Anybody still here? Yep. yep we're still okay. Here. We're right. here. Yeah. Oh, I, I hope they didn't put people to sleep. They were very. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah Avengers... So none of this takes place on Earth. None of it. It's all in this new star system. Um, and we don't even know that much about Earth, actually, right now. This is a thousand years in the future. And. All we know are stories and we don't and people don't know what's real all the time. And, and so it's 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 pretty cool. It's, it's very imaginative. If you want something a little, you know, further out, give that a try. Uh, David would say it was weird. I know, oh. David. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of not on Earth, whatever happened was his name, Ian Alexander. He had those. We read the first two and we're waiting for this third one where the, the ship gets thrown four billion years into the future. Um, no, that was Ian Douglas. Uh, the the uh, Andromeda. Dark, That's dark, it. Andromeda. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the third one is. And like, I really, really want to read I it. I do, too. We actually agree on this one. I do. Well, too. I'm surprised at you, David. I really I like am. This. I admit it. That, that's a that's little far out. out yeah, it is. I was stretching. But I, I don't I guess I like the characters. And speaking of stretching, have you read a book? I think the part of the title was Norfolk Gloss. It's about this planet and these people yeah. raise these animals and the slavers come in because you find out that these people were just an experiment. The animals have in their brain, they generate some sort of mineral that's used to power ships. I'm just wondering if you'd ever even heard of it. I'm gonna have no, to I haven't. Let me, I haven't. Let me see if I can. There's find so much the name stuff out there. I know I'll there really you. is. Um, 
Lissy see. and I are reading the God game now. Uh, Sherry, did you read that? Or was I oh, that sounds familiar. Um, About the video, you know, the AI that recruits these high school, smart high school students and starts giving them jobs and, yeah, and yep, gradually yep. get more and more. I did read that, yeah. More and more disturbing. I, we haven't got that far. We're only about dumb. I thought it was pretty good, yeah. We, we're trying, we're reading it. I'm enjoying it. I don't know if Lissy is as much, but she's not bailing yet. We we have an agreement that if either one of us doesn't like a book, we we skip, we don't read it. Yeah. Um, but she's sticking with it so far, but we're, we're enjoying it um, so far. There, he's doing quite a bit of character building, actually, mm -hmm. in yeah. this book. I mean, the main character's mother died, and he's just hiding, and he's afraid, and he's. And who's that book by? Oh, who was it who's by? Who would ask know. me that? Um, I don't remember. Um, to Dan, Toby. Okay. Something. And I Toby? found the Nofic Gloss book is by Essa Hansen. It's DB one zero three seven eight four. It came out last year. It's one of those complicated. Uh, worlds with with multi it's set in a multiverse the universe we're in is one of the main universes but you can jump into other ones but you have to be careful because some of them have laws of physics that will kill you so you have to know oh. which ones you can go into and you have to have especially buffered shit to do it so this is rather complicated i'm waiting yeah, I like the, i like the sound of it i'm gonna have to get it yeah the god game is by danny toby danny okay. toby that's just, uh, the okay. god sorry game david i danny didn't mean to interrupt you not a problem not a problem. And um, I'm sorry, David, I missed the title of the book you were talking about. I don't know. How, I didn't quite get how to spell it. It's called No Fit Gloss. It's Essa Hansen. The, what you want is the DB number, DB 103784. Oh, that's what you want. Yeah, yeah I'm going to look wild. that up. It is wild. Yeah, I like that sometimes if it's sometimes. done well. Uh, I'll be curious to see if you like it. I thought it was rather interesting. It's very high techy. They could do some medic. They could age you forward years and years or age you, make you get younger. I wanted to go find that machine and go back 20 years. They can do yeah, that, but they seriously. can't, they can't age you too many years too fast. They kind of have to wait a few days, age, put you back a few years. You know, if you do too many years forward or backward at one time, it, it takes a toll on you, which figures, I mean, but that's only fair. You know, it's not magic. Everything has rules rules right yeah. but it still sounds pretty interesting i know i want to go back i wanted to jump in that book go back you know sometimes you want to visit the world the book is mm -hmm. have you read john varley um evan he wrote things like steel beach and then red was it red thunder and some other stuff yeah i read some of that but it's been he's, decades he's ago interesting. Uh, i like steel beach but yeah you know, i read one of the thunder books um yeah, one of i, I the don't characters, know why i it sounded a bit too much like Heinlein, but it um, was. I liked it. One of the characters, the genius guy is Cajun. I don't know how he did that. His name is last name is Boudreaux. I don't know mm -hmm. how he came up with that, but I had to read it just for that because mm -hmm. the guy, the, he was genius, but he was really strange. He was the classic, very strange genius who had a really religious freaky father and it made him a little off but i like the books they show you how they invent this substance and they use it for fuel and they leave the earth because the earth is falling apart it, it but it is a bit heinleinish in fact one of the characters in the second or third book is named Podcane. only mary kane mm. who reads the book keeps pronouncing it Podcaney, and i think but i think oh, it's no. Podcane yeah. from the book Podcane of mars by right. yeah 
Even yeah. science fiction has been a long, around so long now. It has its early literature from the golden age. It has it has waves. It has the more socially um, aware books of people like Ursula K. Le Guin, the, the women who got in in the 70s. It has Frederick Pohl. I liked The Space Merchant's War and the sequel. He was David. Born. Oh, yeah. I just found the name of the book. Um, Nofik Gloss. Yeah, it's N-O-P-H-E-K. Okay. G-L-O-S-S. Ooh, and it's the first in the Graven, Graven. book series. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm. This one, and it's uh, Essa, E S S A, Hansen, S A H A N S O N. Yeah. Okay, That's great. It. Thanks. That was unique. Um, the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club is going to be on Thursday, November 10th, 2022. Wow. Good. Okay.